this particular episode more than others, I was more of a danger to myself than other times. I was more suicide ideation than ever before. In the hospital, I got upset at one of the nurses and I went back into my room and I took a sweater and I put it around my neck. They found me. <gasps> and after that, I was on 24-hour watch, like even in the shower. They were with me all the time, you know, making sure that I was okay. That has never happened before. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. In mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. Before we jump into today's episode, I would like to introduce to you a new package that I have out there for listeners that want to change something in their life. They might feel stuck, they might feel not inspired or lack of motivation, and they know that where they are now is just not good enough and they want a little bit more. They're not sure what it is. They might be in a fog, they might be in a lack of inspiration, or they just need some clarity. This package is eight one-on-one sessions with me, and I'm going to gift you in these sessions a specific custom-made program for you and your life and anything that's going on in your life using the tools that I incorporated in my healing and my journey that I incorporate every single day in my life with challenges. We're going to talk about gratitude. We're going to talk about acceptance, radical acceptance, forgiveness, and what it means to live in a positive mindset. If you want to hear more about this program, go to my website, hopetorecharge.com. You'll see link in the show notes. It's called Gift of Light. Don't miss out. It's limited time just for the holiday season now. I'm gifting a few of these away. So go check it out and see if this is something you want to gift yourself. Hi, thank you for joining me here. It's the month of December where we are discussing resilience on Hope to Recharge podcast. Today, I have a returning guest. Zahava List is the co-founder of Cheskenu. It's an organization that provides peer support and resources for Jewish women that are struggling with mental health. She started this organization a few years back to give herself support after she came out of the hospital after one of her psychosis episodes. She is breaking the stigma. She is supporting. She is helping. She is motivating. She is inspiring. This is her second episode on Hope to Recharge. If you haven't listened to the first one, episode number 13, go back and listen. Today, we are speaking about resilience with her in her personal life. Recently, she came out of the hospital of two weeks in the psych ward after overcoming a manic episode that came out of left field. We discuss manic episodes and how it was different from this psychosis and what she learned from it and how she is building herself slowly back to recovery. What is resilience in her life? How does she implement it? And what does hope mean to her? Please share with us tips that you got from this. 
something that inspired you and you had no idea before you started listening to this episode. If you want to join Chizkenu, if you are a Jewish woman, feel free to go to chizkenu.org, link in show notes. She has amazing programs throughout the year. Enjoy this episode. In 2005, I was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis which turned into bipolar one, which is mainly mania, psychotic features, with also turning into a depression as well. That is my main diagnosis. And how long did it take you to recover after the first mania episode, after your first baby? The first episode, you can listen to it, will be in the show notes. I highly recommend before you listen to this episode, go listen to the first one if you didn't. But how long, just give us a few quick tips if somebody listened to it and they don't remember the facts. How long did it take you to come back to the Zahava that you knew before the psychosis episode? So it, it took some time. I would say a couple months um, before I really felt more myself. But from the first episode to the second episode was very quick. It was only about six months apart. I hadn't been much, you know, myself until, you know, the next time I got sick again. So you had seven episodes and then five years, nothing. And what were you doing in those five years? Tell me about what was going on in those five years that you felt, oh my God, maybe I'm no longer bipolar. Maybe I'm never going to have a manic episode again. What were you doing in your life that was different that you think that the five years was episode free when we say episode means no mania no hospitalization yeah right right I mean I always have like tendencies like there were times where I would get a little bit high or a little bit down but it was within the the range of you know being able to handle it with a medication change or you know I was you know I've been seeing therapists different therapists over the years. So I was always like treating myself, you know, as far as like, I would say maintenance, you know, but over the past four and a half years is is when I started my organization, which is a mental health peer support for Jewish women. Um, And we have women now from all around the world who are gaining support from each other. We offer different projects and programs to really get women out of their isolation and really connect and and so many women now can say, I'm not the only one suffering. I'm not the only one going through this. I have, I have now a support. I have. Um, so for five years, you're building this vision that you said, I remember you telling me that when you were in a hospital, you said, I can't do this alone. And I, I don't like living the silence of this and feeling so isolated from the world. There must be other women out there that are struggling. Let's, let's support each other. And you started Cheskenu. And it just grew and grew and grew. And then it went from being for, like, you were starting it to find fears with bipolar, but really it went into every realm of mental illness and supporting. And it's really incredible. You started it as a self-healing and support for yourself, and it grew into this big thing supporting others. Do you think that the five years that you didn't have any manic episode was because of the support you had constantly? I think it was a very big part in, in helping my stability, for sure. Getting out of myself and being there for other people because we, we not only help those who are struggling themselves, we also help family members. So, you know, being able to speak to mothers and daughters and wives and being able to get out of myself and be able to use my experience to help other people definitely 
was a huge, huge factor in terms of, you know, my own health and my own recovery. Absolutely. But, you know, ultimately it's an illness and an illness comes and an illness goes. And it's obvious that this is something that is inside of me. And it, it won't go away forever. But what I what I, I think, and I think we discussed this after you came out of the hospital, what I think was a big factor was that you were so giving to others and pampering yourself and you were able to stabilize yourself when you're like, okay, I'm a little bit off keel. Let me go and get support from others and let, let me check in with them. Okay, what's going on with me? Let's, let, let me be a soundboard and get feedback and balance myself. And it's a balancing factor with mental illness and support is a huge factor. So it doesn't mean that you're never going to get manic again. You'll never be hospitalized again. It means how long will you be able to stay stable before the next bump in the road comes that you might need much more than just support. And stress in life really gets to us and it, it, it makes us like collapse. And right before September, you were going through a lot of stress in the organization because you wanted, you had so many dreams that we were speaking about. So many dreams, so many dreams. And I just want to go into what happened, okay? I want to share it from my point of view, and then you're going to share from your point of view what happened. So we've been discussing for a few months um, different programs, and with COVID, things were changing constantly. Are we going to do it live? Are we going to do it on a Zoom? We were able to do in-person peer support group was one of Zahava's big dreams, and we said, okay, maybe we can get it off the ground right after the high hol- the Jewish high holidays. I was traveling to Israel. And there was a lot of back and forth by emails, by WhatsApp, by phone calls, constantly for about a month and a half, I would say. I was traveling to Israel, and that week of mine was very, very hectic. And Zahava asked me, can you just send me something for a newsletter or something? And I said, I'll send it to you once I get to Israel, no problem. And I sent it, and I didn't hear back. And then a few days later, I get a text from Zahava's phone, but it's her husband saying Zahava's in the hospital. She had a very severe manic episode. Please pray for her. I'm actually, as I'm saying it, I'm shaking because I'm reliving that experience. Wait, but I just spoke to her. Wait, I don't understand. I didn't see this coming. How could this be? A thousand questions went on in my mind. I started crying hysterically. I'm like, is she going to be okay? Now, your husband was trying to be there for you, for your kids. It was before the holidays. There was so much going on. And here I am in Israel just wanting answers. Just give me answers. But what is going on? And my first reaction was, this is what it is. We don't know when it's going to hit. And living with bipolar is something that we have no idea when the big punch will come and we just have to take action and I remember last episode you said to me I put some guidelines into my life to say okay if this and this happens get me to the hospital call my doctor get me on my meds like stop me from escalating into this episode and I remember I was so fascinated. I'm like, wow, she's not going to pretend that she doesn't have bipolar. She's going to take action right away to prevent extreme measures of recovery that might happen if you don't take actions right away. Do you remember you telling me this? Yes, I do. And I was so, and so here I am. I'm like, I replayed in my mind what you told me a year ago. And I'm like, okay, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And I had to talk myself into it. And my friends and family knew how destroyed I was. And I was as if someone just 
shocked me with the biggest news, even though I knew you struggled with bipolar. What do you think my experience was that most of the world usually has when they don't go through it? What do you think was that reaction? I mean, I think we want to believe that everything is going to be fine. That like once, you know, someone gets sick, they get better and they keep going, keep moving, you know, like going back to hearing that I wasn't well, it's almost like, wait, is she back to square one? Like, is she ever going to be the same? It's scary. You know, when it comes to a mental illness, you know, I wasn't the same person who I am when I was sick. I, I always say what my sister, you know, says when she spoke to me, who are you and what did you who do? Took you <laughs> who took you over? Who took you over? I remember hanging up the phone and I said, someone took over Zahava. And I just want to remind people that she's a yeah. twin and her twin is very close to Zahava. And yeah. they're like two of the same. Just one struggles with bipolar and one doesn't. And it's so hard to see that when you're so similar, but yet there's something so different of your struggles versus your sister's. As much as you're almost one, she'll never be able to understand your struggles. Right. I mean, she's been through her own journey, but she doesn't usually, you know, talk about it so much but she's she's been an incredible support to me throughout everything really yeah. tell me what happened this episode that was different from the other episodes if you can is it, is it too hard for you to share no that's fine okay sure. what was what was something that started happening that you said okay this is a red flag something might be happening who saw first and who was able to help you and how did you help yourself? Then we're going to go into the next question. The first thing is for sure, couple days of no sleep, you know, just being up all night, doing things, having a lot of increased energy. Then it turned into like a lot of hyper spiritual thoughts, a lot of t thoughts about Mashiach, a lot of thoughts about kind of like feeling like I have powers um, a friend of mine just recently told me that when she spoke to me during that time, she she told me that I had told her that I'm Elio Anavi, Elijah the prophet. Like I I have abilities that other people don't have. I definitely felt like I was like less inhibited. You know, things that I normally wouldn't say to people, I said to people. But it was in this time specifically, it happened so fast, hard and fast. You know, like it, it went from like, I was fine. I was, I was pretty stable. I was, I was doing okay. I mean, I definitely had some medication changes going on and stuff like that, but I was okay. And then all of a sudden it was like, I wasn't functioning. Like I wasn't, I really wasn't really taking care of the house at all. I was just in my own world, in my own bubble, you know, calling people and trying to make peace between people who I know were, were in a fight with each other, you know, like just doing things that like were out of, I was really not in control. And for me, thank God, I, I knew like something was wrong. Like I knew I had to get help. And the day so that no, I one second, Zahava, when this is going on, you could see yourself and you could say, okay, this is not, you can have the thought process, wait, this is not something I usually do. I usually don't call me Messiah. I usually don't think that I know who the Messiah is. I usually I'm not, I don't think that I'm the peacemaker of the world. Can you see that? Or do people have to make it aware? Like your husband has to say, listen, Zahava, I think you're a little bit out of character. You haven't slept for two days. So in this case, I really knew I needed to get to the hospital. My husband didn't have to convince me. Like I, I definitely, because, you know, with bipolar, there's so many different parts. You know, so many different things going on at once. So yeah, there was a part of me that was completely out of reality. I was running around through the streets. I was doing all sorts of things. But then there was also another part of me that was saying like, Zahava, you've got to get help now. 
You felt yeah. it. You saw it. I felt, yeah, I felt it very strongly. And when it was time for me to go to the hospital, I was telling my husband, okay, let's go. And, and this is the hospital we should go to. And like, he didn't have to call any, you know, emergency, you know, any, any kind of ambulance or anything like that. I checked myself into, into the hospital and yeah. How does that work, Zahava? What does that mean? Like you're in control, but you're not in control. How does the mind know the difference? between when you're in mania you're really not in control because your mind is on a, is just disconnected from reality you're on a high yeah. right yeah and you could do dangerous things when you're yeah. mania, right manic right yes. very yes. dangerous things. i was definitely a danger to myself so how did you know to say wait Zahava, what you're doing is dangerous you've got to go to the hospital i really look at it as just a complete blessing a complete blessing it doesn't make any sense it really did doesn't. it happen in previous times there was a time that i also like checked myself into the hospital i never was like forced to go to a hospital i don't think so but this one for sure i was telling my husband you know we're gonna go i mean he was definitely pushing I'm me bored. yeah i'm bored and saying yeah yeah he saw the signs yeah but at the same time you were very proactive I was, yeah. Is yeah. that usual for bipolar? I, I don't know. I think everybody's different with it. There are, there are plenty of people who are forced in an ambulance to the hospital. You know, they don't think that they have to go and they, they're forced. You know, I really do think it's a very big blessing that I was able to do it. I mean, I was so unaware of myself. This particular episode, more than others, I was more of a danger to myself than other times. I was more suicide ideation than ever before. In the hospital, I got upset at one of the nurses and I went back into my room and I took a sweater and I put it around my neck. They found me. <gasps> and after that, I was on 24-hour watch, like even in the shower. They were with me all the time, you know, making sure that I was okay. That has never happened before. Yes, I talked about how it's my time to go up. My soul is ready to go out of my body, but it was never doing things. So the night be right before I went to the hospital, I took my phone. I told my husband to he could see my location through the computer or whatever. Um, and I said, I'm going, I'm going out. And I just like started walking down through the streets at night. It wasn't a safe thing to do. Was and he I, afraid? I, yeah, he was very afraid, but he couldn't stop me. And then he even sent one of my friends to go look for me and she found me and she's like, come in the car. And I was like, no. And I just kept ru running through the streets, calling people, you know, doing things. I was, I was definitely doing a lot of dangerous things. And, and I knew deep down that I, that I am a danger to myself. Was that when your husband said, like, you had a conversation, it's time to go to the hospital? Or he still Yeah, trusted? when I finally came back from that run around the street thing, when I came back, that was, it was time. Like, we, we you know, I packed my bags. I was ready. I was going. Do you feel broken inside or you're on a high, you're not broken inside when it's happening, when you're going to the hospital? Well, there was definitely a part of me that was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going. This is really... Scary, but I was so in my own world, in my high world, that like that took over. It was right before the high holidays and you knew that if you go in, you're going to be in the hospital on one of the most important days of our Jewish calendar. It, it was like, hot. you didn't even, you weren't thinking about that. Not, not. So the fact that I felt bad for you was I shouldn't have felt bad because you were okay about that i was like <laughs> well, oh my god she's happened. gonna be like, there <laughs> who's gonna be with her it's so many days how are we gonna do this i, I was like obsessing over it who's gonna take okay. care of her because we can't drive we can't 
Right. I mean, I don't Nobody even know. Nobody was able to visit me the entire time because of but COVID. Because of COVID. So it was yeah. very different, right? Yeah, it was very, very different this time. Yeah, for sure. No, but when it actually happened, like when I got there, it was a couple, it was like about a little over a week before Rosh Hashanah. But when I was told, like, you're going to be here, Rosh Hashanah, that was when, like, it hit me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to be here? You know? Right. Um, was it the first holiday you spent in the hospital? Was it the first holiday? I think so. And you were so building up for the new year. There was a project that you were working on. Yeah. There was so much excitement looking forward for the Jewish new year and what you're going to share on your platform. Yeah. And then your mind just said, wait, you need to stop and i'm wondering if the mania is saying okay zahava slow down it's there to say to you maybe you need to slow down well that's definitely what happened I definitely because you're down from it you help so many people people don't understand how much work zahava does for her organization i see a lot of mental health um, nonprofits. I have never seen somebody single-handedly doing so much for so many people. And it's every single day. Every day she has a program. Sometimes she has two programs and she's running it on her own and big visions. And it's always, how can we help more? How can we do more? And it's always, we're going to give it for free because what if they can't pay? She's always thinking of the person that is struggling in order to get help. All this weight is on Zahava's shoulders and she has big visions for her organization and she sees what needs to evolve in the world of mental health breaking the stigma in the orthodox world in the jewish world there's so much that needs to be done worldwide and it was all on zahava's shoulders it was a lot i said to my husband that i think this episode was part of what she gave to the organization because she took a fall because of all she did and she never regretted it never said oh should i have done something else this is part of the process this is my journey. We're going to get up. We're going to move forward. How long were you in the hospital for, Zahava? I was there for two weeks. A very, very long two weeks for everyone yeah. around you. Can I share what happened when yes. I called you? Yes, yes. Because I think it. it's very important for our caretakers, for friends, and for our family members. I think it was either your sister or your husband. I don't remember who it was. And I was checking in daily. I said, you don't have to respond if you can. But if you can, just give me a little bit of what's going on. And also the support group that you built. I'm on a few platforms that know what was going on. So some of the close members shared with me that they were getting more of an update. And I was I was happy to get an update. And one of them said, you know what, you can call. I said, I've never interacted with somebody that was manic. What am I expecting? I'm going to call and then what? So they said her, she doesn't have her cell phone. You can call the hospital line. She has her personal line and she, she answers it. So I said, well, just tell me what do I say? What do I expect? I don't want to, like, I want to make sure that I'm only of support, nothing else. So they're like, just call and speak to her. I said, and then what? And they're like, just speak to her. And I call and Zahava answers. I said, hi, Zahava, it's Matana. Now, remember, we've been speaking almost daily for like a month before, Okay. And sending texts and emails. She's like, I'm sorry, who are you? I said, it's Matana. And Zahava says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to hang up because I really don't know who you are. And this is scaring me. I need to go. And you hung up. And I hung up and I started crying. And I said, ah, Ari, she doesn't remember me. She doesn't remember me. This was awful. This is awful. Is she ever going to get her mind back? Like, 
I know that with bipolar, it doesn't take over the mind. I'm crying as I'm saying this. Can you see I'm crying? I said, is it a medication? What is it? And I went into this obsessive thinking. Is it the medication? Is her brain like deleted? What is going to happen? She has children. She has a husband. She has a life that she can never get back. What's going to happen? And I was really in like a mourning process for, I would say, a good 10 days. Like I was in a fog. Thank God for my friends who were supporting me through this. This is where I'm getting to, that knowledge is power. If someone was able to say to me, listen, this is bipolar. This is what happens. The medication is probably making her very overwhelmed. She's going to come back to normal. She'll be able to rebuild back, but it's going to take time. But I didn't know. And I'm thinking, can you imagine family members that are going through this for the first time and they feel like they lost their loved one? Does this happen a lot that you hear from family members that they just don't know where their loved one went when they're in psychosis? Yeah, it really does feel that way. It feels that they're lost are they ever going to come back are they ever going to get back so what can you tell people that have family members that are either going through it the first time or afraid that they might have it or they they're seeing signs what can you tell them about the recovery process that's a good question everyone takes their own time as far as how long it will be can't say every person is different with that but just like any other sickness when someone gets sick and they go and they get help and then they get better, you have to believe that they can get better. Because if you treat someone like they can recover, they can get better, they're not hopeless, they will. They'll, they'll rise to the occasion. The difference between this time and, and other times, when I came back home to an entire network that I created of women who really believed in me, really have been praying for me and hoping for me, and seeing how I'm doing. And even if I happen to be doing ECT, which is electric convulsion therapy, and one of the side effects is memory loss. And that is probably why I didn't know who you were on the phone. That memory loss aspect of mine is not for everybody. Not everyone has that as far as their, you know, with psychosis. I really, really believe because I had such a strong support of so many people who really had so much empathy, I feel like my recovery is like a whole new level. If somebody can have family members who really empathize and really care and really want to be there for them without judging, without worrying, over worrying, just what can I do for you? And believing in that you can heal. I really believe that can help someone heal is when we, when we believe in them. You really believe that cheerleading is enough or the person has to do the work as well and go through medication oh, for sure. and treatment sure. and all that. Absolutely. You know, I have to be doing my treatments and I have to be seeing my doctors and getting my medication and doing my part when it comes to the healing. But as far as what a family member and what a friend that's on the so outside important. can do, it can be contributed tremendous to the healing process. I think that's so important to know that support, even though you can get medication and therapy and, and all the treatment, if you don't have the support, it will take differently. And I say this often to people that I work with, it's not enough to just be on medication. It's not enough to go to therapy. You really need a support group to elevate it and the mindset and all that stuff that we constantly do to take the medication and make it take even better. That is, it will have a, a longer effect or 
a better impact versus doing it on your own. And you were saying this psychosis episode was the worst of all of the other seven. I would say it was very extreme. But the recovery process is different. You came back to your... Yourself, when I say yourself, you're still doing your treatment. You're still tired. You still have your day to day. You said this time you're you're on um, antidepressants, which you've never yeah. been before, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the first time that I. Why? Why do you think that is? Because usually after psychosis, after mania, yeah. the thing that people fear is going into depression because the high is so high, and then yeah. the low gets so low. Yeah. So isn't it? Isn't that's it like a given? Yeah, as soon as the psychosis went away, the depression came. And that's why I still am getting my treatments because treating the depressive side and the and the manic side. I mean, that's why it's bipolar. Because for me, it's not just one of them. It's both of them, you know? And, and sometimes even in the psychotic episode, I'll have a depressive, the suicide ideation came from a depressive side. It also comes from the high because, you know, I feel like I'm in another world, but it's definitely treating. Both. Why did you not need antidepressants before? They always gave me mood stabilizers, which helped for both. Um, they, they were always afraid to give me antidepressants because that could maybe lead into a manic reaction. Thank God this time they found a, a combination that's working, hopefully to continue to work. And then the ECT, the electric convulsion therapy that I'm doing is also really treats both the manic and the oppressive side. Can you talk about ECT a little bit, what it is and why people are very afraid of it? I I hear a lot of fear about it, but what are the upsides? Why are people afraid and what are the upsides and the benefits and why? Is this the first time you're doing ECT? No. No. So you're used to it. So tell me a little bit about ECT, the benefits and the the fear around it. So ECT is electric convulsion therapy, which is like the modern day electric shock. People are nervous about it because it is more invasive. It is affecting the brain, Um, medically induced seizure. This is a last resort, resort, you know, if if someone's not responding to medication or other treatments, the ECT is what they go to next. Um, It treats both depression and mania. They put you under um, anesthesia. The whole thing doesn't last for a long time. They either do it through, um, it's called bilateral or unilateral. Bilateral is both sides of the brain. They're putting the seizure through or unilateral is one side going around. That, thank God, is what they're doing for me now. The unilateral, which is less invasive than bilateral. And even though I am seeing side effects, the side effects of when they do it bilateral are more severe and they are more invasive. It is a last resort. They don't really even know why it's helpful. They say that years and years ago, there was a man in the psych ward who was severely psychotic and all of a sudden he went into a seizure and he started he started being fine. He was, he was stable afterwards. They don't know why it works, but it does. For me, it really took away the psychosis and then once the depression came, it's also taking away the depression. The side effects are hard. The memory loss hopefully is temporary. The short-term memory loss is, is very difficult. It's not an easy ride, but I'm grateful that, that I have the, the right messengers who are doing this. I have a great team of, of people in the ECT part of the hospital that they all work together and they all really try to give the best care. I think it's an amazing talk about gratitude. We speak about gratitude a lot and you said I'm very grateful. And I want to I want to highlight this for a second. Zahav is giving us a scenario that if anybody was born and said, would you like to be born with bipolar? And and every few years, we're going to give you ECT treatment, which you'll have to go into some kind of memory loss. It's an induced seizure in a million years. No one would say, oh, yeah, me. 
No one would say that, right? But what is she saying? What is Zahra saying here? With the package that I got, this is something that will help me with something that I really wouldn't choose to have. I wouldn't choose to have a manic episode that I need to go through ECT treatments. But because I do have it, I am grateful that I have options that can help me a little bit more than if I didn't have it. And I think it's such an amazing, powerful moment of owning our story. And this is what Zahava is all about. Hold on, pain ends. That's her hope. It's, she's not saying, I hope pain will never come. I hope I will not go through struggles. Pain comes, pain goes. Just hold on because it's going to pass and you're going to have again some kind of pain come in your life. But if you learn to look at the gifts that come along with it, which Dava is saying, no one would call ECT a gratitude, but she's grateful for the people that are helping her be more responsive to medication because without the ECT, she wasn't responsive to medication. So now the medication can respond. So yes, is the side effects awful? Yes, but she is choosing to work with gratitude and that is strength that to me is the epitome of somebody that wants to move forward and not be a victim you know we speak a lot on our podcast about being a victim um to a survivor to a thriver and i think that's what it is is seeing the little gifts in the journey even though no one would call it a gift but saying you know what i'm grateful that someone came up with the idea of ect that at least with all the side effects at least my medication can take place and I can slowly get back to myself and hopefully my memory will come back and all that. And and for me is the ultimate like role model in recovery. Do you remember what I asked you last time when I said, do you believe that somebody can really heal? I share it all the time. I said, do you believe that someone can really heal? And you said to me, depends what you think healing is and you said for me healing is putting a program into place for me that when I go into psychosis I'll be able to get treatment right away it doesn't mean that I'm not never going to get an episode but I surrounded myself with boundaries that will help me recover faster and that was such a powerful thing that you taught me because people often say, oh, well, I'm healed. I'm never going to be depressed again. I'm never going to have a manic episode again. All these absolutes. But that doesn't mean healing. Healing knows that we will be able to overcome it, have some kind of a roadmap, have tools. And Zahava keeps on acquiring more and more tools in the process of her healing. And not only is she acquiring, she's sharing it with other women. And her journey is a life worth living because because she is actually sharing her experience to hopefully take away pain from somebody else. What do you think is one of the biggest differences between this episode and previous episodes that taught you that no two are the same and you have to just evolve as you work through mental illness? Definitely you live and learn. Like as you go through process, like there's so much more I know about myself this time than I knew about myself then. And knowing that I got better last time helped me this time. I can get better again. I did ECT the last couple times I was in the hospital and it was also just the same symptoms that I'm seeing now. And I thought it would never get better and, and it really did. And also to think that after going through something similar to what I'm going through now, I was able to open up an organization. I was able to start something new that wasn't there anymore. 
You know, I was able to like use my talents. I was able to give to people. I was able to have another baby. Like there were so many things that happened since that last time I wasn't well that like if that could get better then it can get better now. Maybe even get even better than before, you know? And like I said, having Cheskenu for myself, almost like planting the seeds for when I'm going to need it now. It's just, I'm so grateful. Like not only to have the support system of Cheskenu, but also my rabbinic advisor, my clinical advisor, like everybody, so many people who put into place, I really get it and really want to help me, want the best for me. I feel like that's for sure made the biggest difference. I'm grateful also my my family, like my, my in-laws came in and helped and my mother goes on to um, Zoom with me and my baby every day almost. You know, she's like the babysitter. Wow. Um, I'm very lucky in this way because I feel like I'm in a place where my kids are also starting to understand that this is an illness and this is a challenge. They're in an age where it's, it's so much different. You know, my oldest is 15 and then I have a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old and then I have a 2-year-old. It was very different from the last time I was sick. Kids are older and they, they understand more. Tell me about the children a little bit. What was their reaction? Did the wait last time your fifteen year old was ten? Yeah. Is it yeah. a it's a she? It's a boy. It's a I've boy. Does he remember what happened? Does he remember what happened when five years ago? From the last time I was sick? That's a good question. I think he does remember, but it's not not so clear. You know So this time he was very aware, like something's going on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was talking to him about all sorts of things. And what was his reaction this time? So he knew. He knew I wasn't. When I'm telling him that his father is Mashiach, you know, he knew something, something's off for sure. Was he scared? Yeah, I think he was scared. He really, he stepped up to the plate. He helped out where he needed to help out. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for him. But he's very supportive as far as like, he does his best as far as like helping out. And it's not easy. It's a challenge for each one of them. Before this episode, you were very open about mental illness. It wasn't like you were hiding it from them. They knew that mommy has bipolar, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, but they just didn't experience it 100%. They didn't see the impact of what a manic episode is. It was definitely a more up close and personal this time. Do they have to go through therapy to recover? What do, what would, what do you tell other people that um, are experiencing it for the first time? How do you discuss it with the children? Well, I think it's really important to talk about it like as if, if you think of the, the illness as just like any other illness, like any other thing that you would tell your kids about, this is just the same. You know, it just it affects the brain instead of physical, you know, someone gets a heart attack, the same thing. It's just like any other illness. And I think it's really important to not over-dramatize it. You know, like, yes, they know that this affected my mind and my brain. And, and still today, you know, they'll, they know I'm not remembering things the way I used to. I just really try to make it very not scary, something that they could always ask me questions about it. I talk about, oh yeah, so when I was in the hospital, like, you know, as part of just regular conversation, it's not like, it doesn't become like a very, I would say it really depends on the child as far as like, do they need extra help? You know, as far as that, I felt like, you know, my kids really had a lot of support as far as family and their teachers were very supportive. And It's so helpful to be open with them 
because they don't feel that they're living in a secret of the unknown. And when you share with them, they feel safe. Okay, what we're seeing, we're going to get an explanation. And it's not some kind of secret that we have to figure out. And maybe something worse is going to happen and no one's sharing it with us. For sure. I want to interview your husband because he sounds like really somebody that could be the Messiah because he sounds so incredible. We discussed that we're going to bring him on the show as a caretaker to someone that is going through bipolar and, and how to support. What is one amazing trait that you want almost any caregiver to adopt from your husband, the way he shows up with caring for you? What do you think is one important message that if you do, you could choose one message to give to all caretakers of loved ones that are struggling with bipolar? What would be that message that your husband is like incredible at it and is one of the most supportive aspects of healing and getting through it? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> Just something funny to think about, you know, because I, I did talk, call him always the Messiah and everything. And he's like, when when he would hear me call him that, he's like, well, I was just grateful you weren't calling me the Satan. I think that the biggest thing is the unconditional acceptance and love. I could be acting like who knows what, you know, I could look different. I could act different. I could do so many things that are different, but he treats me the same way he treated me from when he met me the first day, you know, like nothing changed, nothing changed in terms of how he looks at me and how he appreciates me and how he finds wow. the best in me. That's the biggest thing. Biggest compliment like somebody can do is like when they see your soul, it's not wow. about the illness. And isn't that important for anyone in life, for any situation in life? See the soul. I love the way you're saying you see the neshama, the soul, the core, not the mistakes, not the illnesses, not our weaknesses, but yeah. they see our soul, our core. And then everything else is just like a thing that happens and we'll get over it. Yeah. So, for example, when you're going through mania and he said let's go to the hospital he won't control you he'll say on your terms let's yeah. do it on Zahava's terms we're not going to rush her we're not going to make her feel well, he knows he can't. <laughs> in that case he can't convince me of anything like you know I've gained weight and I've I'm just not you know myself in a lot of different ways and you just would never know you would never know anything changed from when he first met me I think that's really the biggest thing is like Everybody has so much greatness to them. And the things on the outside, the superficial things, they don't matter. I think also another thing is that the constant giving and not expecting in return. How does that work, Zahava? Like we're human. I know. We get depleted eventually and we're like, okay, I need nourishment too. I need, I need to get back. Are you very grateful constantly to him? So I try to be, you know, I'm not, per <laughs> you know, it's definitely not easy. It's not easy. And there's times that I get very, you know, moody and frustrated and everything like that. And he's definitely learned how to be assertive with me over the years. It's not like he's a pushover. And, right. and But there's so many times where he just gives into it and then says, like, this is an illness. It's not her. It's not her, you know. And, you know, he has his own support system. Right. I think it's really important. I think also just outlets, you know, being able to, he knows, like, he needs this time to himself, or he needs this time to do this. It can't just be about giving, but looking for ways to give is, you know, what we say in Chatkin, and we strengthen ourselves by strengthening each other. There's a tremendous amount of strength that you get 
when you give to another person. So I think as if a person is in a position where they're a caretaker and where they're giving, they should know that that is where they're going to develop their incredible amount of strength and potential by how much they give to another person. We shouldn't have to be in a situation where we're taking care of someone, but we, if we are, we should know that's where our greatness lies. I sometimes see the imperfections of people and then I make it who they are versus saying, you know what, where's their soul? Where's their soul? Ari is very good at it. And he always says, okay, she's in her anxiety mode or whatever. He never personalizes it. Or like, oh, maybe she had a hard day. He's very, very good. And he actually tries to make me to see him the same way. And he's like, okay, like, is there anything good that I did today? Like, can you think of, I'm like, no. When I'm at that state of black and white, it's really destructive. And it's really humbling to just say, you know what? No one's perfect. Not even us, the caretakers. We have plenty of flaws. So yes, we have to like understand that there's a wave in life and there's ups and downs. And it's remarkable that with all that your husband needs to do when you go into the hospital, he like, he only has to become 10 people at once. And, and with his emotion, also to see your loved one in so much pain is also like takes a toll. And he has yeah. to function. It's amazing that he can prioritize making you feel so incredibly loved and human and prioritize you. It's really amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to speak to him and hear more of who he is because I remember you shared with me that you were in the car on the way to the hospital and you were calling somebody and telling, rambling about the Messiah. And I said, did he take the phone away from you? And you're like, no. Let's me do me. He doesn't get embarrassed by what I do. He doesn't label himself like I need to control her that she doesn't embarrass her. And I thought that was incredible strength. He knew when to ask and when to, you know, like I think I asked for my phone at one point. He didn't know that they were only going to let me have my phone at certain points, but he, he just was told you know, that I, there's a possibility for me to have my phone. So he asked my rabbi, like, should she have her phone? And he said, no, because you don't know who she's going to call and what she's going to do. And like, do not give her the phone. It wasn't like the type of thing where he was going to make the choice for me. He was, you know, he consulted with the people who knew more than trust. us. We yeah, trust. Yeah. Trust. That's exactly. amazing. Where are you holding now? August, you were in your stability, bipolar stability were 100, let's right. say 90. 85 right. ups and downs a little hiccups anxiety the fears the usual with someone that understands mental illness that we that's our our usual we're never at yeah. 100 we're at 85 85 is great like it's yeah. fantastic right yeah exactly. now where are you holding now i would say you know it's still a struggle it's a struggle each morning waking up the fear of it getting worse but also the hope that it can get better you know, the memory thing is, is still challenging. Doing household chores, you know, is, is definitely more effort than before. Because you um, don't have motivation, because you're depleted, because you're tired, because you're depressed. I have this like, kind of like inner child in me that just like wants to be pampered, wants everything to be done for me. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the one responsible. I don't want to be the one in charge of making my dinner every night. Step by step, I, I, I'm very grateful. I also have a really great therapist who's I see once a week. It's really helpful. I take it minute by minute. Like sometimes I'm really in the mood to talk to someone. Sometimes I'm like, get that phone away from me. I don't want to talk to anybody, you know. I'm very unpredictable in that way. What are you doing to pamper yourself now? Even though you're working so hard to recover. You're going to ECT, you're going to therapy, you're you're the medication. You're doing so many things to recover. And it's nonstop mental talk to ourselves to recover, right? 
Yeah. And like motivate us in the morning, motivate us at night, motivate us throughout the day, take a deep breath. So it's constant work. Yeah. What are you doing to pamper yourself? <laughs> you should know, actually, when I feel the worst about how I look, I'll put on makeup and jewelry and my my wig. Like I'll, I'll purposely get dressed up. Yeah. Because I'm not feeling good about the way oh. I look. I get my nails done, oh. my eyebrows, you know, like I I would love to get like a massage and uh, COVID's a little hard with that. But, you know, I got myself a haircut. Like I try to get myself a iced coffee, you know, like I, I try to really like give to myself. I get into bed really early. Even if I'm on the phone or whatever, I'll, I'll get into bed early just to take care of myself. And it's important to remember that even though, I'm going to say we, even though I'm not polar, but I'm going to say the mental illness, I'm talking about the mental illness world. Even though we feel that everybody's pampering us all the time, a part of us could say we're not worthy. We're being pampered. Everybody, Everybody's doing for me. I'm not worthy of pampering myself. I'm not worthy of a massage. I'm not worthy of a, of a manicure. I'm not worthy of time out for my kids for an hour to just turn my mind off and breathe. But it's so important to do what Zahava is doing. And she probably could do much more of it because she's so involved in Kaskano and her kids and recovery. It's so important to know that just because people are giving to us doesn't mean that we're not worthy to giving to ourselves. It's so important to be our own biggest advocate of healing and knowing what we need. And we're worthy because what we're going through is a lot. And every day to get up and put on makeup, it's a win already. The fact that we're getting out of bed is a win. Give to yourself. Keep on pampering yourself, Zahava. Is there anything else you want to share before we say goodbye? Well, now that Hanukkah is coming, I think of Hanukkah as like a time where we can remember that in the darkness, there's light and there's miracles. Miracles, just like the, the miracle of Hanukkah, there's miracles of recovery that a person can feel like just there's so much darkness and it's so hard and it's so difficult and it's never going to get better. But there's always light. There's always going to be the end of the suffering. And and I always say that I hope that Cascano can become a, a place where we can just celebrate the miracles of recovery. And when I think about it, my miracles of recovery, like we said, it's not like everything's going to be perfect, at least in this world, hopefully we'll get to that place of a perfect world. But what I would say is a miracle of recovery is when I would just come to grab the moments of when I just feel good about myself or when I feel like I accomplished something or I had a success or, you know, I'm able to feel grateful even at a time where, where it's hard. These are the, the moments of recovery. These are the, the lights, the, the miracles that I, I want to grab a hold of and I don't think it's by chance that this is the time of year that this is all happening I think that this is really what we're in you know we're, we're in a very long dark bitter exile and it really is going to be light and it really is going to be miracles and hopefully we can see them every day that we're here thank you that's so beautiful keep on looking for those little miracles in your life because it can always happen and believe in them thank you so much for being here again thank you for being my role model in recovery in leadership in giving in kindness in authenticity in friendship and so much i am so grateful to call you a friend and really a mentor I'm grateful. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was really an honor. 
Thank you for listening. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Thank you.